0: You're listening to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention. Now, here's worldwide best-selling author and speaker, Jason Jennings, and your host, Dale Dixon. And welcome to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. I'm your host, Dale Dixon. We're talking about leadership lessons. It's all about speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention. Jason Jennings, so good to be on the line with you today.
1: Uh, Dale, it's great to be back with you.
0: And our focus today is Hit the Ground Running, the title of, of one of your best-selling books. Give us an overview as we start out about the research that went into Hit the Ground Running.
1: You know, it's, it's been said by publishers that, uh, uh, that the title of a book actually has to make a promise. So a good title of a book will make a promise, and then the job of the book or the responsibility of the book is to deliver on that promise. And I think probably the most important part of the title, Hit the Ground Running, uh, is actually the subtitle. Uh, So the title of the book is Hit the Ground Running, but the subtitle is A Manual for New Leaders. And so here's what the research was. Uh, for a lot of our books, or a lot of my books, uh, we've, I've, I've written about leadership that has withstood the test of time. Uh, leaders who have slowly grown through a career and have headed a company for a long time. And what are the things they do to keep momentum going and to keep the company going? Uh, but but for Hit the Ground Running, a manual for new leaders, we wanted to take it slightly different tact. And we wanted to study those CEOs who had done the best job of creating value since they took over. And so we actually studied CEOs who took over uh, after the year 2000, and we wanted to find out what they had done during their first eight years uh, in office uh, or their first eight years uh, in the chair. And and then we wanted to find out if there were behaviors, uh, personality traits, characteristics that could be replicated by other... New young leaders or new leaders uh, taking up new responsibilities as the head of an organization, and uh, I, I think it's a, turned out to be a pretty
0: neat work. So we're we're talking about then today those those things that the successful leaders all have in common. I think you found that there's some paradoxical thinking among these top performing CEOs. What is what would you say is the one rule that defies conventional thinking?
1: Well, it's uh, it's actually. Uh, biblical uh, in inspiration. Uh, I was on the campus of uh, J.M. Smucker on Strawberry Lane in a beautiful little bucolic village in Ohio, and uh, there was just something different at J.M. Smucker than I'd ever experienced uh, before. There there was a pronounced sense of quiet. Uh, There was a pronounced sense of authenticity. There was a pronounced sense of of, of care and compassion for everybody who works for the company, Uh, and yet it's quite a remarkable story. Uh, We know that co-CEOs certainly never work. And we know that co-CEOs who are brothers are certainly never going to work. I mean that also that almost makes for a play by Shakespeare. Uh, and yet, uh, when Tim and Richard Smucker uh, took over JM Smucker uh, in two thousand, in the year two thousand, upon the death of their father, uh, the company was doing five hundred million dollars a year. The company had been around for more than a hundred years, and the company had leadership in, in one cutthroat category: jams and jellies. And, and yet take a look at what these two brothers had done uh, over their first eight years, uh, or I'm sorry, their first nine years uh, on the job as co-CEOs. They had taken the company from $500 million a year to almost $6 billion a year, and from leadership in jams and jellies to leadership in nine Cutthroat food categories, uh, including instant coffee, including uh, pancake mixes, including peanut butter, uh, including flour. Uh, I mean, uh, all of, and these and these are cutthroat categories. And in, in, in fact, one of the things I learned is that when a company like Procter and Gamble or whoever it might want to be uh, decides to sell a company off, they will actually uh, listen to that. They think so highly of the Smucker organization, uh, they will actually go to Smucker and say, "We'd like you to buy it." And not only would we like you to buy it, but we'll finance it for you. It's just, it's, we want you to have it so badly because you always deliver on your word. And and so for the couple of days I was stumbling around the campus, uh, uh, every place I went, uh, every encounter I had just seemed so genuine. Well, then finally, after the first couple of days, it's, it, it, it's time for my meeting uh, with Tim and Richard Smucker. It's going to be a very intense eight to ten hour a day on camera and, and on microphone uh, with every word being recorded and uh, uh, I, I, so I sat down and I said tell me the story of the company and uh, Tim Smucker looked at me and said well you know he said everything that we have done uh, as a company has been based on, uh, on a single verse uh, from the New Testament uh, from Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, I remember like it were yesterday. And, and listen to this, because you heard part of this. Everybody, whatever their religious persuasion is, has heard part of this. Uh, because I went to Sunday school as a kid, and I always heard, as you sow, so shall you reap. I mean, we we, we use that in everyday conversation. I mean, what you sow, you're going to reap. And he so he asked me what the Bible verse was, and I said, well, as you sow, so shall ye reap. And he said, no, that's not it. I said, what do you mean? Of course it is. I said, you know, I I, I said that over and over a hundred times as a kid. I mean, to memorize it. That is the Bible verse. He said, no, 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 no. He said, that's only part. That's only part of the Bible verse. And uh, he said, here's the whole Bible verse. Be not deceived, he said. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And I find that pretty fascinating. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For what, whatsoever a man soweth, then so shall he reap. Now, I'm not trying to get religious on the people listening here, but I love that because what he said, let's, let's put that in contemporary language. Contemporary language would be, don't be deceived, jerk. Don't try to kid yourself, because whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Do not be deceived, you're not going to get away with it.
0: You can't trick your way through this one.
1: Yeah that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And uh, Dale, I got that in my head and then I went from company to company and CEO to CEO for the rest of the research for the book. and it was all part of the whether whatever their religious heritage was, whatever their belief structure was, I mean a lot, some or none, that they all got that real golden rule, which is not just whatever you sow you're going to reap, but don't be deceived. You're not going to get away with it. You know, if somebody is going to be watching, somebody is going to know. Mm. And they all seem to share this.
0: Now, I think it's interesting because as you described you walking through the campus of Smuckers, you said it was peaceful. I think you used the word bucolic and yes. they are operating and, and then you use complete opposite words in describing their industry, cutthroat. I yes. uh, yes. think there's got to be this, you know, there's a, that's quite the range that we're talking about, a, a company that's operating in such a cutthroat industry, having such a peaceful setting in which it operates.
1: Well, in fact, I'll even go one step further because not only is it bucolic, peaceful, and serene, but they operate at the same time with a fierce sense of urgency, hmm. which again goes to prove that to be fast and to be urgent in business does not mean out of control speed.
0: There it just go. means
1: fierce determination about where you're going to go.
0: So the other piece that you found in the in the research and that you talk about in the book is the fact that these leaders who hit the ground running and have found this level of success since they started in, the, in that eight year span of time, yep. you say they make everyone proud.
1: Well, I think that that is the uh, <clears throat> that's the that's that's the end view. Uh, I, I I know that every time I I teach a group of. Of students, whether they're college students, uh, uh, business school students, uh, or CEOs of companies, uh, one thing that I always do is I look out at the group and I say, How many of you at some point in your life have been part of a winning team? And almost every hand in the room goes up. And I walk around the room. And I say, well, what, what, what was the winning team that you were on? And I remember just a couple of weeks ago, one captain of industry said, you know, he said I was 12 years old. I was playing a little league. He said we were a ragtag group of no talents. And he said we had the most winning season in the in little league. He, and I said, well, let me ask you a question. How would that feel? And he said that felt fantastic. I said, you still think on that? He said, I think about it a lot. And then I went up to um, a woman, and I said, uh, were you ever part of a winning team? And she said, yes. And I said, what was that? And she said, that was the swim team when I was in high school. And she said, we won a state championship. And I said, well, what, what was that like? And she said, most of those women are still my friends today. And I went up to another woman. I said, what about you? She said, I was. She said, I was part of a winning team selling Girl Scout cookies, and we sold more Girl Scout cookies than anybody in the state. And I said, what did that feel like? And she said it felt fantastic, and just like the other woman, many of those women are still my friends today. And so I always ask people to reach back into their life sometime. At some point in time, would you had an opportunity to be part of a winning team and to really be proud? What did that feel like? And you see, it is the responsibility of the leader make certain that everybody who works for the company has that same sense of being proud of being prideful of where they work of being on this
0: incredible team. That takes some intention though, when you think about creating wins inside well, you of your organization back, for everybody. Yeah, and well, we've but, talked about that in a past episode. There, you,
1: there you go back to my favorite word, uh, intentional intentionality, you know, Growth is intentional, I mean speed is intentional, innovation is intentional, building a winning team is intentional. I mean, to the unpracticed, untrained eye, these things happen by magic at some companies and some companies are luckier than others. Uh, However, there is no such thing as blind luck, I guess unless you're gonna win the lottery. Uh, I mean, luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. And that's what these companies do all the time. They are prepared to meet opportunity, but you're right. Building an organization of people who are proud to be associated with the organization is intentional. It is intentional and it is hard work. It's methodical. It's nonstop. It must become one of the values of the organization. And so how, now how do you make people feel proud in an organization? Well, um, we we landed on in the research for the book that there are about three things there are about three things that new leaders have to do to get that ball rolling and and the first one I guess is to truly buy into that golden rule I mean what you sow, you're going to reap and you're not going to get away with anything less because somebody's going to be watching so don't even kid yourself the next thing that you have to do that all of these new leaders did is they systematically set out to gain belief. And you can only gain belief by making yourself vulnerable, which, again, flies in the face of conventional wisdom. The CEO is supposed to be hard-charging. The CEO is supposed to have all the answers. The CEO is supposed to know what's right for the organization. You know, that's that's dinosaur thinking.
0: And when you say gain belief, you're talking about... Earning is. Are you talking about earning the trust of those around them that people are going to believe in, in the leader?
1: Yeah, and there's only, and there's only, and we discovered there's only one way to do it. What all of these people did is, you no know, sooner were they named the CEO of the company than they began meeting with the top people within the organization, one on one, one on one, saying, "Hi, I'm Jason Jennings." i just been named CEO. Uh, John, you're the head of sales, or Marge, you're the head of HR. I-, I wanted to get together with you and talk to you a little bit about uh, today, uh, about where are we at, where you see the company being, where you see the company needs to be, and then as part of this conversation, you actually have to look at somebody. Today, all this is hard. you got to be able to look at somebody and say, you know what, I'm glad you're here, I want to do the right thing by this company. I want to do the right thing for the benefit of all of our stakeholders. I'd like to have you on the team. And I'm gonna ask you a question now. Do you believe me? There's a magical moment. There's a magical moment when you ask someone, do you believe me? One, you're making yourself vulnerable. But there's another thing that happens. And somebody looks at you and says, yes, they have just made themselves vulnerable too. And you will have shared a vulnerability. Think of all the people who go through life, go through a business life, knowing and working with people and never having shared a vulnerabil- vulnerability. The best way to gain belief is to be able to look at someone and say, this is what I'm trying to do. These are my intentions. This is how I see you fitting into this. I'd like to have you on board. I and mean, do you believe me? Mm-hmm.
0: And that also brings into play accountability
1: <laughs> no and kidding. commitment. No kidding. No kidding. No kidding.
0: Because I remember that conversation we had, Jason, when you came in and you said you had the best interest of the company in heart at heart. And you asked if I believed you, and I said I believed you. Right. So now you're committed and accountable.
1: That's exactly right. Now, so, number one, it's uh, believe the golden rule. Wh- whatever your religious uh, heritage or background is, I mean, call it karma, if you will. Believe in the golden rule. Number two, gain belief of the people around you. And that will also, then then that will cascade down from the organization. The next thing you have to do, and again, this flies in the face of conventional wisdom, Dale. But it's what these people did. These are the the new CEOs who created the greatest amount of economic value between the year 2000 and 2010. The third thing is this. You have to ask for help. And again, the only way to ask for help is a one-on-one meeting with these people, and you're saying, look, I am now the captain of this ship. I'm going to have to make a whole bunch of decisions about where we are, about where we're going, but I need the help of other people around me. Will you help me? Do you want to be part of this going forward? Will you help me?
0: That is a tough one for leaders to do. Would you say that's probably one of the toughest?
1: Of course it is. Asking somebody for their beliefs and then asking them for their help. I mean, those are two tough things. I mean, I know a lot of people who would have a lot of difficulty asking those things, but I... uh, but it's it's just it, it, it's who the new leaders are. They're 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 comfortable enough in their own skin that they're able to ask these questions.
0: And the research from the book through the book and the process of writing it shows unequivocally that that is the case. You've got to be able to do those three things.
1: Yeah, follow the golden rule. I think it's a no-brainer. Number two, you've got to gain belief. I mean, I, I mean, why would you want to proceed? To lead an organization, if you didn't have to have the belief of the, of, of the people around you. Hmm. So, what, what better way to know if you have their belief than to ask them, do you believe me? And what better question to ask is, will you help me? Very will good. Will you help me? I mean, do you want to be part of this? Hmm.
0: Jason Jennings it is the game changer the book is hit the ground running thank you so much for your time today Jason Uh, great information those those three things that new leaders need to be doing Uh, this is one of those podcasts you're going to want to bookmark and keep on your computer and listen to especially for the new leaders coming up on the next episode we're going to dive into less is more and specifically what that lean spirit looks like. Jason, have yourself a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Dale, yeah, thanks very much. You've been listening to The Game Changers, leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention with business thought leader, best-selling author, and keynote speaker, Jason Jennings. Read Jason's most recent New York Times bestseller, The Reinventors, and visit his website at jason-jennings.com.